Hello and welcome to episode 376 of the award-winning Ferg on the Freak podcast. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter, at AndrewRLP. And join me as always is the award-winning League Freak. You can also find me on Twitter, at League Freak. How are you going there, mate? Going pretty good. The award-winning Andrew Ferguson, Rugby League historian, Rugby League statistician. How's your week been? Yeah, not too bad. I've been um, mucking around with some spreadsheets to try and think of new and intriguing stats to do. Mm-hmm. And I got to that point where I got about, let's say about 25% of the way through one of them. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it and went, you know, I've got to stop doing this because the effort I'm putting in, it's not worth, you know, the response I get. Mm-hmm. So I just I went, get that. I, I'm not going to, I just, I can't do this anymore. It's stupid. You know, I I don't want to have a go at the people that put together stats online. Like, we've got a lot of people that do stats online at the moment. It's great. Yeah. Um, but I think we're, like, about three weeks away from somebody putting together a giant spreadsheet that shows that if you score more points than the opposition, you'll win. I'm keen on doing it. You should do that. I yeah, think that um, that's – it's just a hunch, yeah. you know? It's oh, just a let, hunch. Me, let me tell you what I was working on. Mm-hmm. Two – Two different things. Okay. They tell you absolutely nothing. (laughs) Okay. Right? Yeah. The first one was going to be a concurrent ladder from uh, 2007 to 2021, which means that it wouldn't include the finals. Yeah. It's just like, it's like looking at the whole, all of those competitions. Yeah. And basically making it one. So So you can see which teams move. So the idea, well, that's because when all of the current teams are all in there at the same time. Oh, okay. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. And so the idea was you'd be able to see who's been the most dominant team week in, week out over that whole time. And, you know, the average position of a team and how much they move up and down on the ladder and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at it and I got halfway through it and I went, we've already got competition ladder. So why the fuck am I doing this? It's stupid. No one cares. <laughs> so the other one I went to was, I wonder what would happen if I tried to do a recency bias ladder. And that was inspired by, you know, how the International Rugby League have their rankings. Oh, yes, the ones where England can win and they go up like three levels and then they lose and it doesn't matter. That's right, yeah. Yes. Okay, it's the way they calculate that is based on recency bias. So the more recent results carry more weight mm-hmm. and have more of an impact on the rankings than past results. Mm-hmm. I thought, I wonder if I could do the same thing in the, uh, in the NRL but go all the way back to 1908. Yeah. And I got through the first three decades and went, no one gives a fuck about this. What am I doing this for? It's a waste of fucking time. <laughs> I will say this, funny. though. Mm. I didn't delete the files. Oh, shit. Something to come back to. Yeah, I'll get bored. I'll, I'll finish them off one day and I'll post them on Twitter at two in the morning and people look at it and go, hmm, that's interesting. Nice. You get three likes for it and you're like, that's, I spent 27 hours putting that <laughs> shit together. Four and a half weeks of free labor for nothing. Ah, there that's... you go. That's like when you write those articles and it's like, like you you just think, man, I've just taken the game apart. I'm playing 4D chess with this. People are going to love this. People are going to be like, you open my eyes to something in the sport and you put it out and it gets like one retweet and a couple of likes on Facebook. And then you put out like the top 10 funny names in rugby league and it goes viral. And you're just like, I hate the world. I hate everyone. <laughs> yeah, I um. I remember writing, a, a, I think, one of the history pieces I wrote. I was mm-hmm. really, really proud of it because it was something a bit um, new. It might have been the women, the first women's game ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember putting it out there, and I got five or six people liked it. Mm-hmm. I was like, 
<laughs> and then I called James Hooper a dickhead mm. and like 120 likes. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I don't like this system. <laughs> Why is it hard work? It's no reward, but, but just slander. Just it just works so much better. Yeah. That sucks. It does, but there you go. <laughs> I won't stop doing it though. I, I must admit, as much as it's um, infuriating at times, Mm-hmm. It's also a bit of a charm about the hypocrisy of rugby league. People yeah. talk about how much they hate the mainstream media, but the minute you go and do something a bit unique that's independent, people go, "Yeah, that's good." And then no, as, soon just, as, you, as soon as you shit on the mainstream media, they're like, "Oh, they'll jump in on you." Like, yeah, I'm trying to help you here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it's, you know. it, it's funny. It's funny how it works, but they're turning. I think, I think though they're turning. Well, I think that's why you've got to stay true to what you put out, you know, and and because if you don't do that, I feel as though you slip towards just doing like top 10 lists and stuff like that. Look, I've got stuff like that on my website, but like I've got every I've got all sorts on my website. I've got shit that's gigantic pieces and I've got other ones that are. Like, remember I wrote that article where it was, I think it was something like about the Cronulla Sharks, and it was just a one-word article. It was like I said no. It was something like, with, with, are the Cronulla Sharks going to win the premiership this year? And the whole article was just like no. Um, so, but you've got to stay true to yourself, you know. You've got to write what you enjoy writing and stuff, because otherwise you do. You end up, I, you just must one day end up looking in the mirror and saying, oh, my God, I'm just trying to copy what, you know glorified bloggers like James Hooper do. Yeah, well, to be honest, what he does is so insanely easy to replicate. Yeah. I'm not saying this to to mock him. I I, I spend a lot more time mocking him. I find it much more enjoyable. But if you you actually sat down and look at what he's written, I thought, you know what, I'll have a crack at that. doesn't matter what your writing proficiency level's at. You Mm -hmm. could replicate what he does. With no skills and no training, and you could probably do it after your second or third attempt. You could probably knock them out in ten minutes. And, and that's I reckon what he does. I reckon you could do it after five beers as well. Minimum. Well, yeah. Well, that's your starting point, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> think five. Think about it. Think another five. Get the idea. Think another five. Start typing. And you know what? You'll have the same amount of spelling mistakes and grammar errors as what he does too. Probably. Hey, did you see that uh, Braithen Astor is taking over from Ben Eichen on NRL oh, 360? I heard that. You know what? A lot of people have been joking about it. Mm. And they're thinking, oh, that's who would have thought it? That's a stupid idea. And going, think of it this way. How many times do you hear Braithen Astor yelling in an argument and talking over people? Yeah, exactly. And you know what? I, I was thinking a similar thing. I was like, because your first thing is like Braithen Astor. And then I was thinking... Well, the worst part of NRL 360 now is Paul Kent. <laughs> exactly. Like, but if it, you get rid of Paul Kent, I think you've got a good show. But Anasta's got that um, that karma, passive demeanour. Yeah. Which is kind of what Ben Eichen had, which is what they need. If you have too many um, stupid old fucks on there constantly bitching, bitching and moaning and yelling over one another, mm. no one's going to hear anything other than noise. Yeah, true. So... And that's the having him running the show. It um, it removes one of those yelling loud noises from an old dickhead. Um, there's still too many other old dickheads on there though, or from the newspaper, that you know, people are caring less and less about their opinion. 
Well, have you ever seen something happen in rugby league and thought to yourself, I wonder what a journalist thinks about that? <laughs> like, n- never once, never once ever. You know, it's, it's funny. In When it comes to, say, politics, for example, we're not going to get into a political discussion. We're talking about the journalism side of it. Yeah. You, you want to hear from a journalist because more often than not, they do have contacts inside mm-hmm. and you can't get an interesting take on some things. But that doesn't happen in the rugby league world. They don't have contacts inside. No. There is no inside. No, they're outsiders, and we've talked about that. Yeah. And so all they're doing is getting paid a lot of money to guess just like everybody else. Mm. I don't know how they get their job. And that's the thing that, that stuns me is I don't know how they get the job because they're no different to the rest of us. But what yeah. insiders does James Hooper have? Well, no, who's going to talk to him, really? Well, he's like, he's a he's a apparently a West Tigers fan. Buzz Rothfield's a, a Sharks fan. All they do is they'll go and they'll use the fact that they work for a mainstream newspaper as some sort of leverage, not themselves or their own name, because they know that's got no weight. The fact they are linked with the newspaper and they say, "Oh, I'd like to just speak to so and so at the club," and then they just they sort of weasel their way in. Mm. to new, or not even news, into whatever these people want to tell them. Mm-hmm. They don't realise they're being used 99% of the time by player managers and the like to spread misinformation, to try and get a good deal for a player somewhere. You look at half the, not even half, you look at nearly all the rumours these people you know, release, none of them come true. How many articles have we seen in the last six months about Luke Brooks going to Newcastle? Yeah. So, Where I mean, is he? So many. That's, that's why... Everyone knows Rugby League Week Mole because he he actually talks to people and you see the other players talk to him online. But, like, he'll tell you things that people will refute that come true. And that's why people are like, well, that's why everyone knows him because he fucking gets really good mail somehow. I don't even know how he does it. It's like a fucking Jedi mind trick or something. But the rest of them, they just, like, how many articles do you see where it's like, that's just obviously a player manager speaking, you know, through the journalist. Yeah. It's crazy. I, I just – and they allow it to happen. They let themselves be used. It's That's the weird part. And when they can't get the story they want or the angle they want, they get vindictive as fuck. Mm-hmm. And they attack people yeah. in the game. So, they, they attack everyone because they, they've got the right to know. It's like, no, you just want some content. Classic example, okay, Ivan Clear at the West Tigers. Mm-hmm. He just would not talk to them. Mm. Wouldn't talk to the media. Wouldn't give them what they wanted. Would not do. Would not play their games at all. So they just fucking handed him until they tried to get him sacked. They did the same thing with Michael Potter. It was worse with him because Mick Potter mm. just said, you know what, everything's fine here. We've moved on. We're not going to talk about this anymore. And then, yeah, 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 keep talking, keep asking, keep asking questions. And they kept going until they got someone thrown under the bus. They didn't care who because then that created a bigger story that they could also write about. That's all they're doing is trying to create news instead of actually just report the news. Yeah. Because they don't, they don't know the news. So the only way they can report on news is by creating it. Well, look, the, the best one, the two best examples, I think, is the big grudge match between the West Tigers and the Penrith Panthers, which yeah. just, there's nothing there. Like the fans don't care. Players don't care, the coach, and no one cares. Maybe Justin Pascoe does. 
but no one cares what Justin Pascoe thinks. Because they're stupid, like stupid prick doesn't know whether he was sacked or whether he left the Panthers. Yeah, exactly. And then Pino. the one with between Wayne Bennett and Ivan Cleary at the end of last year, where there was nothing, there was zero in it, and they kept pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, and then Ivan Cleary and Wayne Bennett were in a press conference talking to each other about it and having a laugh, and it was like it just showed that that nothing was there. This whole big thing about, oh, this big rivalry, it just didn't exist. No, because they feel like they, they need to hype something up to try and create. It's always about trying to create news because they can't actually uncover it. Mm. But they because... can't also look at the game and see what the real things within the game that are interesting are. You they know? don't look at the game. No. Why would they do that? Exactly. Then you've got to start doing analysis and you've got to understand how the game's played. and uh, It's just better to just make up rumours and just go with that. Exactly. Speaking of analysis, yes. the NRL All-Star game, well, the two of them were on yesterday. Uh, well, I guess people that are listening, it's two days ago. And I didn't watch the women's match, but you did. Tell me a little bit about the women's match. Well, the women's game was only an hour long, so they had... Um, four 15-minute quarters. Mm-hmm. But I tell you, I, I don't know why. I was watching the game, and those girls are fucking fit, and they were still going hammer and tongs right up to a full time, and they looked like they still had plenty more left in the tank. Mm-hmm. Um, Got to say, though, the fullbacks for both sides, um, Bovetti Walsh for the Maori, and um, oh God, I keep forgetting the name. Uh, oh, the Indigenous fullback. I forgot her name. Um they were absolute standout superstars in that game. I think they had nearly all of the tries for the match. Both great ball runners. Um, I've got to, I've got to find a name. Yeah, I feel disrespectful otherwise. Okay, <laughs> um, cool. Um, yeah. Um, both great, um, great ball runners, and the passing mm-hmm. that they delivered. Um, yeah, especially you know sometimes you. I think there was one way they. Uh, the indigenous side went to the short side close to the attacking line. Mm-hmm. And there's one of those three on two overlaps. Mm-hmm. And the indigenous fullback threw this absolutely fucking gorgeous um, flat cutout ball. Was it, it uh, Vet Welsh and uh, Tamika Upton? Uh, Vet Welsh is the, I think she was the Maori fullback. Yep, yep. I can't remember who the indigenous one was. It's good. They've got it listed here as uh, Tamika Upton mm. on the NRL website. Okay. Well, it must have been her then. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the the quality of play, still very, very good. Um, starting to see a lot more um, control coming from the halves. Mm-hmm. They, they always had it, but it's getting better and better at such a fast rate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, lovely to watch. Uh, Racine McGregor, her kicking game, fucking insane. The grubber she put in, she put in one early, very early in the game. And it just, you know, end over round, but just popped up at the right time to beat um, Upton at fullback. Very nearly led to a try. And then she put in another one, which just sort of bobbled around on the ground. It was intentional, the way she kicked it too. It come off the side of her foot. Um, and it bobbled around and almost, and I think it led to an actual try in the corner. I mm-hmm. could be wrong, but it went close. And her kicking game was just an absolute menace. And the commentators were saying she's not even contracted this year. I mean, how, 
It's like saying Andrew Johnson didn't have a contract in the middle of the early 2000s. He's like, how? <laughs> Look at what she's doing out there. I couldn't believe it. But, yeah, it's um, the, the quality of the play is fantastic. The forward, some of the hits, man. Fuck me, drunk. I, I just love watching the women's footy because it does have that quality about it. Like, you, you, you do see skill. You do see things that make you go, oh, man. And then they do. They hit hard. And it's the I think it's easily the best women's sport to watch. Easily that and beach volleyball. <laughs> um, the yeah, um, the the women's rugby league. The thing that's really unbelievable about it is mm-hmm. quite simply they play fair, they play hard. They're not trying to um, cheat the rules or or be disrespectful or any of that sort of fucking shit. There's no grubbiness in there. Mm. They just play to be bad. You don't get the shit on the ruck. You don't get any of that garbage in the play the ball. You're dropping in and out for a second then. Oh, yeah. That's because the website was looking at finally loaded. Yeah. Get (laughs) get rid of your website. I'll do all the website stuff from now on. For those that don't know, Andrew no, was still on his laptop. Yeah, and it's old. Mm. You want to know how old this thing is? I bought it when Dick Smith still had stores. Wow, because that's, that's where I got it from. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it was um, it was a fantastic game and some great tries. Um, so yeah, I thought it was very, very good. I watched probably the first ten minutes of the men's game and went, "Yeah, this should have been the warm-up game. The women's game was better." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not joking. Like that's serious. The women's game was just entertaining from start to finish. Yeah, the men's game. I watched the men's game. I missed the women's game, unfortunately. Um, it was interesting. The the Maori team they come out and just dominated field position and possession and everything. And you sort of thought, man, this is going to be a walkover. And then the uh, Indigenous side ended up getting a runaway try. Um, David Fafida got the ball and just steamrolled everyone down the sideline, basically running in that Gareth Ellis uh, corridor. And it actually made me think, like, I know he's a forward and I know he's a big dude and stuff, but I wonder if maybe he would be better off playing out in centres because every time he's out there, he's devastating. Um, there was a hit that I, Jordan... Re- sorry, go on. I was going to say, I saw that on a highlights thing. I saw that... Um that break he had mm-hmm. down that Ellis corridor. And I actually thought that maybe he was redefining it because he was playing a bit wider than Ellis. But yeah, he pushed I, the winger off the field. Yeah, the winger was <laughs> the winger was kind of running behind the uh, touchy. Yeah. Um, he got he, he got hit by, I believe it was Jordan Rapana after just after he passed the ball. Like it was a split second. It wasn't late. But people were saying that that was a shoulder charge and then Rapana was hit with another shoulder charge um, later on in the match, which just wasn't a shoulder charge at all. I think that the definition of shoulder charge has been widened so big that, like, it, it's beyond what a shoulder charge is. It's ridiculous. It needs pulled back. But the well, um, well I've got to say, mm-hmm. was the tackle made by a player who had shoulders? Yes, it was. Yes, shoulder charge. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's pretty much where we're at right now with shoulder charges. So. Um, look, the Indigenous side looked like they were under the pump for a while, but they come home pretty strong. I didn't see all of the the last couple of quarters, but, um, 
you know, the Indigenous side definitely looked the better team in that second half of the game. And they looked like they still had a spring in their step where the, the Maori team sort of didn't. The Maori team looked like they were running on a bit heavy legs, which, are, you know, I kind of expect. It, they they made a lot of ground in that first half. And, um, you know, it's it's still a pre-season, really, for all these players. But it, it was an OK match. It, I don't think it went to any great levels. Um, it was close at the end. But, it, you know, it was a fine enough hit out. The one thing I will say is that the game, basically both teams walked out at about five past eight. By the time we had finished all of the ceremonies and the, you know, the haka and then the Aboriginals did their um, war dance and we had welcome to country and stuff, like the game must have kicked off at about 20 past eight and you're starting to get pretty late. You know, and, and like for me, doesn't matter. I, if that game kicked off at 11 p.m., I don't care. But there have got to be a lot of kids and a lot of very casual fans that look at the game and they're like, oh, this might be interesting. And then they see it's going to end like somewhere around 11 p.m. and think, I just won't be around for the for the best part of it, so I'm not going to watch it. The and I think gets me about all actually. Sorry to butt in. Is um when you've got a double header and it's a women's game followed by a men's game. For some reason, the last two years, it seems to me anyway, it could be more. Mm-hmm. When the women's games finish, there's like a good hour at least before the men's game starts. Yeah. And the women's game was at 5.30, finished suit, so all over done with by 6.30, almost 7 o'clock. Yeah. And yet the men aren't running onto the field to do kickoff until almost 8, 8.30. I mean, why have you got fans sitting in the stadium for an hour with nothing to watch? That just seems yeah. stupid to me. Yeah, it's, it's dumb. That reminds me of the uh, Rugby League Nines World Cup yes. where the, like, there were there were hours between some of the finals games and it was like, hang on a second, they, they only play for 18 minutes a game. Like, why the fuck are we waiting this long? They, they're fine. They can run out again. They're, that's the point, isn't it? <laughs> they don't need an hour's yeah. rest. And that's something that Rugby League has been doing for a number of years now, and it makes no sense. I, I don't get it, especially with when you've got the men's and the women's games on. But shut that gap down. It can be half an hour. Just enough time to, you know, do whatever you've got to do on the field if you need to repair it or if you need to change posts or shit or whatever. Mm. I don't know. Half an hour should be tops. I also think there's something to be said about, you know, we've got this cool thing in rugby league that the teams run out in the field and we're getting ready to play the game. You know, it's like the gladiators run out and here we go. You get the gladiators to run out and then we stop. And then we have a minute silence for, you know, we had a minute, minute silence for the stolen generation. And then we had a, well, it was a minute. It was a moment stolen generation. And then the passing of uh, Johnny Raper and Olsen Filipina, which we'll talk about later on in the podcast. But um, and then we had the different war dances. It just would. There was a lot of like. It took twenty minutes. You know, it, it shouldn't be like that. I don't think. And I understand there's stuff we've got to do, but I also think that from an entertainment point of view, um, and it, it being a sporting event, there's also there also should be a natural cadence of entertainment. Well, I think all they had to do was just close that gap between the the, the finish of the women's game mm. 
in the start of the men's game. And you just you close that gap down to 15, 20 minutes. Do all of those um, pre-match things that they that they did do because I, I I generally think they are important. Mm. But do them all. You can do them all straight after the women's game, and then you can get into playing football. And people, you know, if people don't want to sit through that, that's their prerogative. But they're not going to have to wait too long from the end of the women's game and the start of the men's game. It might be 45 minutes. Yeah. It's not an hour and a half. Because I think the difference. Yeah. And look, I think I've talked about it on the podcast that for many years now, I've been out on pre-match entertainment and like just all of the fluff. You know, I, I don't, I really don't care about any of it. And I understand this is a bit different because it is a uh, Maori versus an Indigenous game. Um, so, I, you know, and I, I'm not saying it shouldn't be there or anything, but I just – I like to sit down and watch games of football. And so all of the other stuff I do, just don't really have an interest in, although I do like seeing them face off with the war dances. That, that's always really cool. But, um, you know, entertainment, halftime entertainment, stuff like that. And then after the game, they've also got to sort out where after the game we've got a bunch of people in suits that feel like they anybody wants to hear from them ever. Because we don't, we never ever like. I, you know, last year when I went to see the Panthers um, premiership um, celebration at Penrith Footy Stadium, and there were like fucking five or six cunts that would get up and they would have their say, and it was like the, ah, uh, it was just all these people, you know, and they would stand, stand there and blah 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 blah. It's like, can you? Get the fuck off the microphone and hand it to the footy players. When the footy players had got the microphone, they were really entertaining. Everyone was laughing and enjoying it and stuff. And then they'd be like, and now from the fucking the mayor of Penrith, it's like no one cares about the mayor of Penrith. Fuck off. You know, (laughs) no one wants to hear you. If you're up there wearing a suit, fuck off. That's basically all I've (laughs) got to say. That's that's fair enough. I saw – Andrew Abdo was there for the women's game. I don't even think he got up to say anything for the presentation. Mm-hmm. It's a bit weird. What's the point of putting him there? Did I don't know if you saw this. Um, there was a point where they did a, a cut scene and they had Carl Stefanovic talking about junior rugby league and he's out at some junior rugby league. It wasn't even a game. It was like some sort of just throw. They were tossing the ball around and stuff, like a training session. And he's talking about how important junior rugby league is. And he was talking to Andrew Abdo. And he said, his first question was something along the lines of like, this really shows you how important club rugby is, doesn't it? And I wanted to strangle him. <laughs> I wanted to fucking strangle him. The other thing was, this is a guy that's like 50-something years old and he's wearing skinny jeans. It's like, fuck off, mate. Yeah. Uh, I don't think any men should be wearing skinny jeans. None. None of them. Maybe Prince, and he's dead. Yeah. He was yeah. the only dude that could do it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not good. It's not good. Maybe Reese Walsh could. Reese Walsh? Why Reese Walsh? He's so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Just think, Prince could wear skinny jeans and a blouse. <laughs> and the only person in the world who could get away with it. Yeah, the only other person that could wear a blouse is probably a pirate, a real pirate. Yeah, that, that's true. That's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> we um, got right off track. What the hell happened? <laughs> we did have a plan of what we we're going to talk about today, and I don't think we've touched any of it yet. 
Okay, so I, I, I wrote down a list of stuff to talk about on the podcast. Let me bring up my notes. Wow, uh, preparation. I wrote this, I wrote this <laughs> list like uh, days and days ago. See, this is what happens when we get prepared. This mm. has only happened like two or three times. We ignore all of the preparation because we're so used to not having to rely on any prep work. Okay, <laughs> so I, I we have to do it. I wrote this on the 9th of February. <laughs> I think I was thinking we were going to do a podcast <laughs> midweek. Our schedule changed a little bit. So there was talk during the week that the Australian Rugby League team is going to do the Indigenous War Dance before games. Now, they used to do it many, many decades ago, and it, they stopped doing it. Up until yeah. the 50s, I believe. Yeah, um, and there was talk that they want to bring it back now. Um, a lot of people were very supportive of it. Look, I'm... I, I'm fine with it, but I think it's it's one of those things that I would like to see get the okay from the Indigenous communities. Because I think well, it's like the the Maori one. I don't think it's something that the non-Maori people um, should just be doing willy-nilly. I, I think it would be nice that approval is given from the actual cultural leaders to say, yes, we know we're fine with you know you guys representing your country to be doing this war dance. Now, here's the thing, and, and I I – gave my answer on Twitter during the week. Just say you were playing in a football team mm-hmm. and you were asked to do an Indigenous war dance. How would you feel? Honestly, I'd, I would I would have no issue doing it whatsoever, but I would not do it if I knew it was going to um, piss off or irritate the Indigenous people because, for me, that's, that's their culture and that's for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I come from a, a background and a culture that wasn't exactly very nice to Indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, it's something that's sacredism. So it's not something that I should be doing because I don't think that people who are non-Indigenous fully get the meaning behind these sort of things and how important they are to their culture. So I'd, I'd only do it if, if, they, if their leaders and their communities and all this stuff um, said that it was fine for me to do it. And they, you know, generally that, that's the way I feel about it. I, I, wouldn't, okay. I wouldn't do it otherwise. I would feel ridiculous doing it. And, and I only say that because it, it's, it's Indigenous culture and, like, Australia is a nation, right, and I understand the idea of a nation adopting a cultural dance, but I, I would also think you've got to consider who that nation selects. So I saw some people saying, how would a Tom Trebojevic feel doing a, a indigenous dance like that if his cultural background, I believe it's Serbian or something like that, and it was it really made me think, you know, um, I, I just feel silly doing it because I feel like it was something that belonged to other people. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, that's basically that's almost echoing what I was saying. That's just, that's what I was saying. Like, if the indigenous community of this, though, came to you and said, um, we would be honoured if you would do this uh, war dance with our people. Would yeah, you I, then go and do it? I, because I guess, for me, that would be the only way I would do it. Yeah, I, I understand. Because I feel that I would be being disrespectful if I did it without their approval, given that it's it's not for my culture. Yeah. 
Well, my yes. understanding is that the, and I could be wrong about this, but the haka, I believe it's the haka, isn't supposed to be performed by women. I, I heard that once. Now, I could I be wrong about it. I believe so. I think the 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 one that the Maori women do is a specific one made just for them. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll check that out though. Um, because I, I don't I look it right. up. Don't look it up on your. No, own. no, no, no. God, no, I'm not doing that now. <laughs> um, the yeah, that's my understanding. I, I just I don't know. There's something about it that I would feel. I would just feel I would feel just as we're doing the haka. Like if somebody said like would be honored if you did the haka with this i'd I'd be like look that's that's wonderful but i'd feel weird doing it because i'm not a maori um and, and i guess that's how i'd feel about that now I, there's no chance of me playing for the australian rugby league team anytime soon Seriously? so that doesn't yeah i i, I retired you... about i retired the same time that paul Sculthorpe did <laughs> <laughs> do you remember that <laughs> that was so funny <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I, I just would feel weird doing it because it, it would be part of someone else's culture, and and it's not necessarily my culture. And I don't know. I I just feel as though it'd be weird to do. That's how I feel about it. Like, yeah, I don't no. know. Is that weird? Uh, maybe no, I, I think about I think it. that's I think that's showing full respect to to the. In, the individual cultures. I think mean, that's yeah. what we should all be doing, to be honest. Like, say somebody asked me to do a traditional Central American dance, I would say the same sort of thing. I'd be like, "Look, it's it's not my place to do that sort of thing, man. I'm I'm not from Central America. It's it's your culture, and I love watching you do it, but me doing it, I would just feel really." wrong and out of place doing it what if you what if you got asked to do something from your culture like um i i know you're you've got um many different cultures here we go make you up um so like um something from wales well i'm not fucking welsh (laughs) fucking welsh what would a welsh person do (laughs) tell me three things about welsh culture uh castles castles (laughs) Dragons, rugby union, rugby union. Um, they're not even good at that. I like. I thought you were going to say, "Listen, what if you did stuff from your culture, like doughies in the car park and eating a porto, <laughs> going to get Krispy Kreme at Panthers?" I, I don't chase the low hanging fruit. <laughs> That's too easy. Michael, what's what would be something else from my culture? My culture would be like um, cars up for rego. Probably not worth getting fixed. It just happens to get stolen and sent to the industrial area and done, heavy and burnt out. That's my culture. You know, yeah. someone accidentally stole it. I don't even know when it happened, man. I just yeah. woke up, my car was gone, and somebody burnt it out, and now I receive the uh, the insurance payout for it instead. Running in thongs? Run, yeah, running in thongs. Running, keeping your stride running in thongs when you kick a thong. Yeah. Actually, you well, when you've got the old thongs, you know, yeah. the double pluggers, and the front parts bends over because it's just a bit worn, yep. and you step on it when it's bent over. And yeah. if you do it on a really hot day, you then run the risk of uh, the your toes hitting that hot fucking mm-hmm. concrete or, you know, tarmac, wherever you are, and 
Jesus Christ. What else is part of my culture? Um, smash and grab? Nah, nah, never did smash and, smash and grab. What the fuck do you think I am? Jesus. Um, I was thinking more along <laughs> the lines of like, my culture is like when you'd ride your bike down a road and you'd realize, oh shit, someone's dog is out and you would start having to fly down that road really quickly without having to crash your bike because the dog would maul you. Um, what else? Sorry, I, I threw myself there. Yeah, what the hell, man? <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah, uh, they're parts of my culture. I guess, I guess my sort of cultural war dance would be I've kicked a thong and I've stepped on a smashed beer bottle in the road <laughs> and I'm picking out glass out of my foot, the green glass out of my foot. See, it's, it's not too different where I'm from in the country, mm-hmm. except instead of wearing thongs, mm-hmm. a lot of times we didn't wear any footwear. Mm-hmm. And instead of stepping on beer bottles, we're stepping on bindies, thistles. Yeah. Um, maybe a snake. Um, so, you know, there's certain different types of runs based on each one. If it's bindies, then it's kind of a weird, awkward hop run sort of thing. If it's a snake, then obviously you go on as fast as possible with a lot of brown fluid running behind you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, prickles tend to be more of a uh, hop mm. while you hold your foot. Oh, they're the worst, hey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're, you're trying to constantly keep moving, especially in the summertime when it's really hot. You can't mm. stand still because mm. you're barefoot because you're an idiot. Um, so you've got to keep hopping along while trying to pull prickles out of your foot, which is not easy to do when you're jumping around everywhere. Um, yeah, we're a smart lot in the country, that's for sure. Yeah, they. You know what? All of that gets. <laughs> all of we that don't have any train stations though, so you know what we're not. You know what we're not doing. Yeah, apparently. What the fuck, Andrew? Luckies don't have train stations out there by the sound of it. Jesus. <laughs> you know, all of the problems that you just described get fixed if you just wear some shoes. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> we can't be bothered. If only there was something that I could put on my feet. <laughs> we only wear the shoes when we're doing work. We don't want to wear them out. <laughs> oh, make man. them last as long as possible. Well, I'm glad we had a really... <laughs> Really highbrow discussion about the uh, indigenous wards. Hey, we were respectful before completely disrespecting each other. It was fantastic. Ourselves, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, another <laughs> bit of news during the week. Uh, Jason Talmalolo held a press conference, said he's looking forward to the season starting. And the journalists being a bunch of um, low-life scum-sucking, bloodthirsty sociopaths that they are, all I wanted to do was ask him about his personal medical history in terms of if he was vaccinated or not. Oh, um, I saw this, yeah. You know, Jason Tamalolo said that he um, was completely fine to play by all of the guidelines put up by the NRL and any relevant organisation that wants to have a say in if rugby league players can play games. Uh, but that wasn't good enough for some of the journalists, some of the low-life scum-sucking bloodthirsty sociopaths that are around in our society and they wanted to hear his personal um, medical history and they demanded it and I thought it was pretty fucking gross because it's no one else's business except Jason Talmalolo's. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, I was, I was looking at it going, I was a bit torn at first because I saw in the press conference and the um, media manager for the Cowboys let let the journalists ask, what was it, maybe four, five questions about it? And they're asking things like, mm-hmm. you know, 
will you be able to play in the World Cup at the end of the year? And, you know, what implications will this have for Tonga and stuff like that? And I was thinking, I get that they... What are you doing, man? Uh, just moving what? a uh, Rubik's Cube. Yeah, we can hear the... that really I'm not playing. I wasn't playing with it. I was just moving it. Yeah. Um, That's a weird name for your dick, by the way. <laughs> it's trivial. That's why I called it that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was, it was a weird... A weird moment because I didn't know whether at first whether the media guy should be stepping in or not or something like that. But at the same time, how many times can you ask a guy the same question and get the same answer? Yeah. Like it was it was obviously going nowhere. And so I think the media guy eventually was doing the right thing because he was trying to make sure that the journos got to ask questions and get answers and not cut the whole thing short just because they're asking the same question all the time. So you're still giving them an opportunity to ask questions. Yeah. Because at that time, all they were doing was, I suppose they were fishing for a specific type of response and they weren't getting it. So they just threw in another line just to see if they could get what they wanted. And to Tom Malolo's credit, he wasn't buying any of it. Um, Yeah, he handled it really well, I thought, hey? Yeah, he was pretty calm through it all. The problem they've got, though, is they keep targeting someone like that the way they did. Um, and to me, some of the questions had a a hint of holier than thou about them, mm-hmm. which is never a good approach. Well, um, the demonization coming from the, it's, yeah. You know, it, it's just not good. It's just not good. Um, it, it's weird because... I'm pretty sure it was Abdo and um, and St. Peter who came out last year and said that they weren't going to force players to be be vaccinated to play. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they're going to have that. Well, are you there? So, you we're just dropped push anything you. Yeah. Yeah, you just shot. I'm still here. Yeah, we got you. I did nothing. There's no websites open. I did nothing. (laughs) I put Rubik's away. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Um, No, so I I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of things, a lot of variables involved at the moment. So I don't know what's going to happen there, whether there's going to be federal government stepping in or not. Yeah. I, I just... I I don't like the way that people are being demonised by the media at the moment for all sorts of things, and uh, it, it's I just found it very gross. And I was I thought he handled it very well, and I I was interested to see that when uh, some of the journalists were saying things online that they were getting smashed by people online to mind their own business. So I thought that was really good to see. Um, George Burgess is returning this year for the Dragons. And he has had hip resurfacing surgery. Now, it's not quite a hip replacement, but bloody hell, it's close. It's pretty full on. Um, they've said that he's training the house down so you can have a drink. And the, the But it's interesting to see how he's going to go and how long that, that holds up for because it's a pretty full on surgery for um, anybody that has any sort of uh you know, physical activity, let alone playing rugby league. Let alone being a prop forward. Yeah. Um, that's... I look at that Dragons team at the moment and, and look at it and go, who okayed all of this? 
Yeah. Like even the West Tigers looking at it going, guys, but you know, that's that's there's some short there's some shoddy work going on there. <laughs> yeah. Know? Um Aaron Woods. Who would want Aaron Woods for any reason? I don't know. Like the Dragons had Cameron McInnes, and look, he's not he's not the biggest guy out there, but what he lacks in size, he makes up for in fucking heart and passion. Mm. And he was the heart and soul of that Dragon side. And I don't think there's any coincidence whatsoever that the moment that the Dragons let McInnes go, all those players started misbehaving and the, the side just fell apart. Um, I don't know why – I still don't know why the Sharks signed McInnes, and that's not a criticism of, of the player. It's more the fact that he's good at two positions, hooker and lock. And those are the two positions that the Sharks have already got covered. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what they're going to do with him. Not only did they already have a cover, they then went and signed Dale Finnegan to to further emphasise how much they don't need a lock anymore. they got young Blake Braley there at hooker, who's already an 80-minute hooker. I mean, who goes and buys a former hooker turned lock to become a bench hooker? I, I don't get that signing. It still makes no sense to me. No, I, I, look, I think that – I think he – is an all right first grade player. I don't think he's anything more than that. And, you know, coming off a major injury like he had and yeah, with the issues in terms of, you know, where he fits in at the Sharks, it's going to be interesting to see how they end up using him. Um, But yeah, I I agree with you with the Dragons. I look at that Dragons team and for the most part, I kind of think to myself, what's the plan? They do feel very West Tigery, don't they? I I think they're, Transcended West Tigery. Mm. I just look at it and go, "What are you doing?" There's yeah. no, there, there doesn't look to be any planned or any any cohesion with any of the three parts of the field. That being the back line, the halves, and the forwards. Yeah, it's just a clunky mess. It really is. But it's because be- you can always see with the Tigers that they might be trying to work on one side of the field. Mm-hmm. But by picking three decent players, one in each side, you know, one one good center, one good back, maybe a center, um, at least one decent half and one decent forward. That's usually the best they can manage, and they usually park them all on the same side of the field. You go, okay, they're going to be tacking the left side all year. At least there's some some idea of what they're doing in that sense. It's not brilliant, but it's a little bit more than what the Dragons have done this year, which just looks to be. Let's just throw money at every single player of contract and see which ones take the bait. Yeah. And I think every player who couldn't get a job at another club, they're just going, oh, we'll just take on this Dragons contract then. And I just can't believe that somebody would look at George Burgess's situation and say yes, because I, I would not be shocked if six weeks into the competition, it's too much pressure on that, that surgery he's had. You know, because there's, there's only so much you can do. I wouldn't be surprised if he plays out the year, but I don't think you're going to get the minutes out of him that you used to get. He's not going to be playing 50 minutes a week anymore. He might be half an hour tops, and that'll be in yeah. two stints. Yeah. And he'll be on the bench the whole time. Um, And I dare say he hasn't signed a cheap deal. Yeah. Why would he? But, you know, it's just... Interesting. It's It's a weird one. It's a weird one. I don't get it. Now, um, the... Sorry, go on. I was going to say when you throw in the fact that they signed Moses and By, they got rid of um, Matt Dufty. You go, 
Uh, I hate to be a Dragons fan this year. Yeah, it's going to be a, a tough year for them. It's um, that they'll end up above the Tigers on the ladder. <laughs> I feel like they will as well. I'm sorry, I do. I feel like they um, The rumours about Reese Walsh, we talked about him going to the Dolphins about three weeks ago, and it was a few days later the story started coming out that it feels like he's going to end up going to the Redcliffe Dolphins. Um, Did we start I, that rumour? We might have, hey. <laughs> That's how I, I – when I saw that, because it was only a couple of days after our podcast, and I was like, was it three weeks ago or was it last week that we talked about that? That was about three weeks ago, I think. Okay. Because, I, I, yeah, when I saw that come out, I was like, that seems suspiciously like what we were talking about too. Like, <laughs> I wonder if one of those scumbags listens to our podcast and they – Of course they do. Yeah. Um, now, we've got a couple of emails. Should we do some emails? Absolutely, we're missing the emails. Okay, been so, waiting all summer for an email. I know, I know. So the first one is from Nui Ash, and the subject is eels. And the message is this: Legends, thought I'd send you a quick email to help curb the complaining about your audience each episode. We don't complain about our audience, Nui oh, Ash. <laughs> they're just bastards that don't send us emails. Um, yeah. he Talk said, to us, we're lonely. <laughs> yeah. He said, Gutho doesn't return kicks with gusto. Moses doesn't run the ball enough. Switcheroo? Oh, I, I'll say this. I think, I think if he switched him, Gutherson would turn out to be the better player of the two if he switched oh. their positions. I think Moses would be worse at fullback. Than what he is as a half, I think Gutherson would be just the same as he is at fullback as he is at the halves. See, I, I rate Moses way higher than Gutherson. Oh no, I do too. But yeah. I think I Make think Moses switch. Yeah, I think Moses as a fullback would be shit compared to Gutherson. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Moses so. would be a little bit out of his element. And he Gutherson would not. Wouldn't he be wouldn't so. run the back with the ball back with any gusto either. Yeah. Well, he would in the first six weeks. <laughs> Did you see I, Sandy was giving me grief about that on Twitter? No, what happened? Yeah. Uh, well, I've been saying how how Moses plays like, you know, the best player in the world for six weeks and then it, it's, it finishes. And I've said that in a few podcasts already this this uh, this year and Sandy sort of brought it up randomly in a tweet and I thought it was funny. I thought, <laughs> oh, man, I've been saying that too much lately, haven't I? We can stretch it out to eight weeks. I think I was saying eight weeks before. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Nui Ash said, uh, so pumped for the new season to get underway. Cheers, Ash. So we're pumped as well for the new season. Absolutely. Actually, I'd, I'd like to say if Moses was at fullback, mm-hmm. it would remind me of when Tim Moulton used to play at fullback for the Tigers. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, with the next one is from Lee. And he says, hi there. Do hi. you think... Do you think Wayne Bennett pays overs to secure players? And then he has Broncos. And then he said, he may be a great coach, but he's going to blow the budget as he's currently being criticised for artificially inflating the market for player prices. And then he says, CB article Beliza. What's that? I don't know what that means. Um, Look, I think that the whole idea of, um, the Dolphins inflating the play market's a load of shit, hey? Yeah, look, I think um, 
I don't think Wayne Bennett over overpays anyone. Yeah. I, um, I, sometimes you just if you get a coach who's good enough, mm. players will want to play with them, and they will take whatever offers are, you know made available to them. Um, so yeah, I I don't think I don't think he over overinflates players. It's not in his best interest to either, because if he's got to sign him at that higher price, then he's just done himself out of money. So, well, he he goes on to say, does Wayne Bennett need someone supervising him for these deals being made? And he's bringing back a, the million dollar man to Brisbane at the Finns. That's a question mark at the end of that. How much do you think that contract will be? I think Souths were around three hundred and fifty thousand, but I reckon the Finns will pay. Five hundred thousand, in my opinion. I don't know who he's talking about. Um, will the fins be done before they begin? Uh, is it a good idea to sign players that will be in their early to mid thirties on a contract for several years? They face the potential roosters in twenty twenty one situation. Do you get infuriated when you see a player several years into their contract and they are not putting in solid effort and taking advantage of that lucrative contract? at the team's and supporters' expense. What are your thoughts on the compulsory 12-month... Con- what are your thoughts on compulsory 12-month contracts for players, not coaches, with no exemptions? They can have a 30-day window after the grand final to sign contracts for next season. And then he says, as a fan, I would be more excited knowing that players are going to be at their best for the 12-month contract uh, there are way too many players that get long contracts and you never hear about them again. We need something to motivate these players and also provide us with great entertainment. Thanks, Lee. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, look, I have seen a bit of chat uh, in the last week or so mm-hmm. about um, clubs and player officials and, and, you know, sorry, players and club officials and managers and shit like that all whinging about clubs being able to sign players two years in advance. Mm-hmm. And I've got to ask, how is that any different to signing a player on a four-year deal, like at your same club? Because mm. the concern there is that, you know, we've signed this player and he's not going to be here in two years' time. So how do we know he's going to put in? And then I think, I remember when the West Tigers signed Adam Blair for four years and he didn't put in for the best part of three years. Mm-hmm. Because he was on big money and safe, mm-hmm. I don't see how there's any difference. And I, I, I don't know why people think that um, players are going to put in less because they've signed a deal elsewhere. If, you got to look at Have it. Have you ever know, seen it? No, well, you may see it, but it's not going to be something that lasts very long. Or something that's intentional, because at the end of the day, fans have got to look at this and look at every single player the way a player looks at it, and that is the player themselves is a business. Mm-hmm. And if you're as a business decide that you sign this deal that might be for two or three years' time, that might land you some good money, then then you need to keep performing at a good level, mm-hmm. because once you get to there, it's not about getting one good payday and then going, <laughs> I'm done, see you. You've got to get the next payday as well. And you're not going to get the next payday if you're running your business like shit. It just well, doesn't work you, that way. You look at the longest contract we've ever seen signed in rugby league, which is Jason Tamalolo. And his was like a literally a 10-year, $10 million contract, basically. 
Um, and he's been fine. He's been absolutely fine. Last year, I think that um, a lot of it was to do with how he's been used by the Cowboys and then he got a couple of injuries and things like that. But outside of that, he's been absolutely terrific. I think that when you see a long contract handed to a player and that player doesn't perform to that contract, I normally, you normally are not surprised and I normally put it at the feet of the club rather than the player. And the, there's no doubt that a player is responsible for playing better. But like with that West Tigers contract with Adam Blair, it wasn't a surprise, was it? Well, no, it's because the Tigers paid way overs for him on a long deal, four years. That's, that's long in rugby league terms. Mm-hmm. And they did not have the structure or the system or the game plans in place to make use of Adam Blair's strengths. They kind of just stepped back and said, oh, well, you've won premierships with the Storm and you're a test player. You run everything. He's like, I'm a second roller, guys. What the fuck do you want me to do? Yeah. I said, like, well, you got to do something. We're paying you big money. He's like, uh, fuck is. You know, well, you know, the clubs play the biggest role in those contract debacles. Always. It's always the clubs because... If the club doesn't offer the deal or the money for the player to accept, then, you know, it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So people have got to stop going after the players on this. The players have got a very short window to make as much money as they can for the rest of their lives. You know, that's for a lot of them, because if they get some sort of injury that could ruin their career, it may also impact their potential to earn income away from the rugby league field when they've finished playing the game. And there's, for a lot of them, 30 years before 65 years of age comes around and you get to actually officially retire then. That's a fucking long time. Yeah. So they've got to try and earn themselves, you know, 40-odd years' worth of income in 10 to 15 years. So, yeah, they're going to take whatever best deals they can get and they're not going to play like garbage to risk that opportunity. They're going to try and have the longest career they can and earning the most amount of money that they can so they can – retire comfortably and not have to worry about money for 30 years. Mm-hmm. That's what they, that's what their goal is. So if a club's going to come along and say, we're going to give you a 10 year deal and it's going to be worth $10 million. Yeah. Player signs there job security for 10 years. And there's 10 million bucks. Of course, I'm not saying no. I also think that the thing that needs to be remembered is that the NRL, unlike a lot of other sports, is not an, a closed market. So say if it's the AFL, you know, an AFL player, say all AFL players were told they can only sign one-year deals, what else are they going to do? You know, yeah, they can exactly. only play AFL. Rugby league is not like that. Our players can sign contracts with other rugby league clubs overseas. Um, they can go and play rugby union. They can go and play a myriad of sports, which we've actually seen how how many players have done that. So NFL, gridiron, yeah, I mean they've done everything. It's kind of Boxing. crazy. Um, but yeah, so I, but I, the other thing about Wayne Bennett and the way that he signs players, I do think that he needs somebody overseeing him, and they need to be in a position and have the have the um. What would you call it? The trust of Wayne Bennett, I guess, where they can say no to him. Because I think we saw in Newcastle, when he has complete control of the roster moves, he will sign a lot of older players and 
you know, if Wayne Bennett signs a bunch of old guys who are not going to be there in four years' time, it probably doesn't matter to Wayne Bennett because he's not going to be there in four years' time by all, you know, likelihood. I'm not saying he's going to die. I just think he's going to retire <laughs> by then, you know, or, or move up into the front office. Um, so I, I think that he does need somebody looking at the moves he wants to make because he has signed a lot of older plays. And in some ways that could be a concern, but if he signs good younger plays from this point on, those old players give you a decent core of, of experience to build around. So, um, but I mean, we saw that he, it was a disaster what he did in Newcastle. And I think that really tarnished a little bit of his legacy, what he did in Newcastle. Um, do you reckon though he might have been signed by by the Knights with the sole goal of trying to just win them a premiership in his time there? Because if that was the case, it kind of makes sense that he bought older players. Oh yeah, I look. I wouldn't be shocked if Wayne Bennett said, "I will be here for say three years, and only three years, and then I am leaving." And the club said, "That's fine. Do whatever you feel you need to do." And he did whatever he felt he needed to do, and he got them pretty far at one point. But the problem is a football club should be thinking perpetually for yeah. its future. And no club should ever say, you know, we, we have to win in the next three years. That, it's silliness when you do that. Even when Phil Gould did that at the Panthers, he said it's a five-year deal. It was just dumb. Yeah. Um, and so I think that um, and it, when it fell apart in Newcastle, it fell apart hard and quickly and devastatingly to the point where that Knights team was one some of the worst teams of all time. Um, so I, I do think he needs someone looking after his moves that he wants to make. I wonder, though, if it's a very different situation at Redcliffe because I think they've got um, they've got a lot of junior teams to pick from there. So their junior base is probably going to be, um, you know, at worst, the same size as Newcastle's. Mm-hmm. Um, so what he needs is for that team to hit the ground running. And with so many junior players around the club and likely coming into the side, it's, what he's probably working on is I want to have experience and want to try and get, um, you know, decent amount of success from the get-go. I don't want this team to be running in the bottom four in the first season. If they can be challenging for the top eight, in season one, doesn't matter if they finish ninth or tenth, just be in the running, be thereabouts um, with the squad he's got. And if he can have as many experienced players, especially around the forwards and maybe one in the halves um, and one or two in the backs and get one or two superstar youngsters in the side as well to sort of carry the team to the next generation, so to speak, I reckon that's probably what he's working towards. Um and and trying to make sure he gets the team um, reasonably solid to start with and building up from there. There's an awful lot of, uh, if we're honest, similarities between what he's doing now and what he did when he first started at the Broncos. Because if you look at that Broncos team in, in 88 when they came in, wasn't very young. Mm. Gene Miles, Wally Lewis. Um, yeah, geez, you go through most of that side. And most of the guys there are in their late 20s. Yeah. And back then, that was getting late. People need to remember, Wayne Pearce retired just before he turned 30. Yeah. All right. You look at Wayne Pearce when he retired, you go, that guy looks like he's 38. He's about 29, 30 years old. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's the way it was then. You didn't, 
most players did not go past 30. And if they did, it was because there was very little competition for their spot. Um, but the elite players, they would only just get past 30 and they'd start to drop off a bit. Because, especially in the 80s and 90s, the game went from being a bunch of blokes going down to the pub after training to, no, 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 we're doing fitness training and diet watching or sort of, you know, top of the line stuff. And you went from having um, your front rower looking like Sam Bacco to your front rower looking like Mark Geyer. Mm-hmm. You know, poles apart, mm-hmm. fitness levels, poles apart. And that transition took place over the space of about three or four years. It was insane. Yeah, it was very quick. Um, and so I caught a lot of players out in that period. But Bennett picked an awful lot of uh, elite level guys from the Brisbane comp, as well as obviously test players as well. Alan Lang was probably one of the youngest players he had there. I think Alf was 18 or 19 when he came into the side. Mm. Um, Michael Hancock was a teenager when he came in Steve Renoff as well but there wasn't too many of these young guys that came into the side most of them were mid to late 20s and you think you only had Wally Lewis for two and a half seasons two seasons yeah they cycled those older players out pretty quickly like you look at the Broncos from 88 and then you look at the team that they won their first premiership with in 92 and it's a completely different team Completely yeah, different. Absolutely. And that was it. It was all about getting the team established, getting the juniors to come through, and then have the juniors take it over. Mm-hmm. And I think he's trying to do a, a very similar thing with uh, with the Redcliffe team. Well, I hope I hope he makes it work because I, I hope that Redcliffe comes in and they're solid from the get-go. You know, I, I would hate to see them struggling for a number of years. Wouldn't I think that, that shit would the Broncos sad. off? It really would, yeah. If they they, come did, every, just... they did everything to move on Bennett mm. and just turn into a basket case since he left. And imagine if he comes back to Brisbane and then just makes his record team better than the Broncos from day one. <laughs> it would be great. He'd be just sitting there with that sly, smug grin on his face every single press conference, win, lose, or draw. He wouldn't care. That's why Ivan Cleary hates him, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Now, have you got plenty of time left to – can we keep going? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Don't, don't want to keep you up too late. Um, it's not midnight yet. Super League kicked off this weekend. Now, the scores we've had so far, and they haven't played the full round of games yet, but uh, St. Helens beat Catalan uh, 28 to 8. They looked pretty good. Uh, Wigan played against Hull KR. They won that game 24 10. The Salford Red Devils, they won 26 to 16 over the Castleford Tigers. Uh, the Warrington Wolves, it's their year this year. They had a narrow victory over the Leeds Rhinos, 22-20. to 20. And the game that probably most people are talking about, the Huddersfield Giants, they beat Toulouse, Toulouse Olympic, uh, 42 points to 14. And this brought up a lot of concerns about Toulouse and how they looked uh, in the one game they've played so far. So it's a bit of a knee-jerk reaction. But a lot of people were concerned that they looked pretty bad. And it brought up my thoughts again on promotion and relegation, which, and you, I know you feel the same, it should be scrapped. But because, because I said basically on Twitter that isn't it a shock that a team that was promoted late in 2021 didn't have enough time to put together a Super League squad. And... The other thing is that I had some people saying, well, if you get rid of promotion and relegation, then there will be no reason for teams and players in lower grades to try. Uh, and it's like, well, 
they those clubs should fold. You know, if that's their mentality, get rid of them. Yeah, that that old chestnut. Yeah. Um, you know what's interesting is I don't remember any concerns um about Lee last year. Mm-hmm. Um, they did not win a game until oh, August twenty two. Was people were people concerned about Lee? Oh no, they weren't French. Yeah. It, look, it, it's I, look. I'm I'm going to say it. Okay. There's a bit of xenophobia going on in English rugby league circles. Yes, I there don't is. know why. I'm in on this, Andrew. Go on, preach. They they wasted no time whatsoever to kill off an expansion to Canada, a first only ever expansion there. They'd made no effort to try and fucking salvage that, but they salvaged Bradford every fucking week. And then as soon as we've got a second French team in there and they have a, a loss to a well-entrenched Super League team that's been sniffing around the you know the finals there for several years, even though it's been partially rebuilding. And they have a, a somewhat heavy loss in their first game ever in Super League. Oh, they're not good enough. Let's get rid of them. We, don't, we can't have these French teams in here. And, then, you know, last year was all the concern about, oh, Catalan don't bring crowds to the game and going... You cannot grow a fucking game if you're so so opposed to teams from other areas who can bring in other money and other players and actually increase and improve the competition. You can't grow it if you're trying to shut the door on these teams all the time. I, I don't get it. They, they sit there and, you know, they, they want to be as successful as the, as the NRL. How many Islanders and Kiwis and Maoris and Aboriginal people and people from all other parts of the world, Papua New Guinea and all these other places have we got playing in the NRL? Shitloads of them. Yeah. Why? Because they're fucking good and they make the game better. And over in England, it's like, oh, no, we don't want any people from this country. We don't want these people. We don't want these. We don't want these. Why all this hesitancy? Why are you so scared about expansion? Scared. Why? I, I don't get it. It's fucking shitting me. And I, so I put in a proposal today, and I said, what, this, what the RFL and the Super League need to do is combine Championship and Super League for three seasons, put them all together, one big competition, play each other once, after three years, have a review of every single team, and look almost solely at their financial situation, and pick 16 teams, okay, that look like they can survive in the Super League, and leave them there. We're not looking at results on the field or positions on ladder or any of that shit. The next six teams who look like, well, whoever's left over from once you've got 16 in the Super League, all the teams that are remaining that look like they're going to struggle, drop them down to League to League One. And in another three years, if there's teams there that look like they're doing financially okay and they might be able to survive in Super League, have a look to see if there's any Super League teams at that time. So remember, we've gone six years ahead now. Mm-hmm. Have a look if there's any teams in Super League who look like they're financially struggling. Drop them down to League One and bring up a team who looks like they're doing rather well and they might be able to survive. That's the only way they can have promotion relegation work there. Because at the moment, I I can't think that running three competitions at different levels of professionalism is a financially responsible way to run a game that's on its fucking knees. No, it can't be. It can't and be. And they slowly but surely are killing off the clubs. Because when you've only got, what, three of the current Super League teams 
have won titles since the Super League concept began over there in 96. Mm-hmm. Three teams. All right. It means all the players coming through want to be in those three teams because they know that that's where success is. If you make Super League 16 teams, you're going to start taking players out of those top three sides and spreading the talent around a little bit more. And all of a sudden, you've got a competition that becomes a bit unpredictable and you've got a competition where teams are largely set. TV's interested. Sponsorship's interested. We've got a game where no one knows who's going to win. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they think it's bad. Because I don't get it. The NRL has a competition where largely anyone can win nearly every single week. Yeah. Super League has a competition where if you had a tipping comp, you've probably had a bad week if you've got one wrong. <laughs> And it's been like that for far too long. Mm. And I don't know how they think that's a recipe for success because it's failing. And they need to stop doing what they're doing and actually get someone in there running the game who's not there purely because they like the size of the paycheck. Actually get someone in there who's passionate about trying to get the game strong and growing and moving in the right direction. The only way you're going to do that is huge structural change. They've got to stop trying to copy the fucking soccer. Yeah, that's been and, going on for too long. Promotion relegation barely works in the in the soccer. Yeah, and they need work to, in struggling rugby league. No, and they need to streamline the administration. Uh, having three different administrations now, fucking ridiculous. They need to get rid of people that are underperforming, and that's all of them in the administration. And they need somebody that's in charge that they don't like, right? And the reason I say that is because in English Rugby League, they've got this thing where they like people to go over there and tell them the things they like to hear. Oh, it's wonderful over here. Competition's actually really strong. We're getting better. You know, all of the buzz things they like to hear. Well, you know what? A few more, few more years, a few more players, a bit of play development, we're going to beat Australia. Stuff like that. That's why they like someone like a Sean McRae, for instance, who would go over there and kiss ass. And they say, oh, he's a great coach. And you kind of look at his record and say, when? You know? So they need they need people over there that they don't like who say, no, you're doing it wrong. Everything you've been doing for the last 40 years has been completely wrong, and now we're going to change it. And you're not going to like it, but I don't care. I'm here to save the game. I'm not here to look after your feelings. They need a Frenchman in charge. They really do. That'd be, that'd be something that would shake them up. Well, Does it mean, like it's, not, it's not like the, uh, you know, Catalan Dragons are struggling. I know. They're doing pretty well, you know. They've, mm. they've always been doing pretty well. They've never really had a moment where they've been struggling in any sense. Uh, Even and they've been playing, playing the long game. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I just – I think English Rugby League is a lost cause until such point as that massive revolution happens, and it's just not going to happen. So, um, yeah, I I did have a uh, an interesting response to my my suggestion there, mm-hmm. and uh, thankfully you didn't really give much of a uh, a retort to it when I sent it to you today. I'll save it yeah. for the podcast. Yes, because uh, it's a good one. Yes. Um. So the reply I got was because I said you know a lot of English fans are pining for the game to be as good as it was back in the eighties and the nineties. Yeah. Now, who sent you this reply? Uh, Paul Cunliffe. Okay. 
I actually don't know, Paul, but um, mm-hmm. I, I assume you do. I, I just mean, you, know, you know a lot of English rugby league fans. I don't. Here's the thing: I don't know them. Right? They all know me, but <laughs> I I don't know them. I only knew of the username. Yeah. He said, the cop is as strong now as it was in the 80s and 90s. In fact, the whole reason Super League was brought forward was because Rugby League was struggling. Now, I'm, I'm going to be a bit facetious. Okay. Facetious it up. Okay. Who do you think is the modern-day Ellery Hanley in England? Okay, that's a hard one. Who do you think is the modern day Martin Fire? Uh, Your soul is not filling with much joy here. Um, give me an easy one. Give me an easy one. Um, actually, this is easy. The modern day Andy Courier. Um, Come on, man. Um, no, no, no. Lee Crooks. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I just, we'll put it, let's put it this way, right? You think of uh, the Wigan dudes that played for Canberra. Yeah. Okay. Would they get into that Wigan team in 1994? Hell no. They wouldn't even get close to it. (laughs) That Wigan team in the early 90s, I, I, I say this with, full honesty, mm-hmm. would have been probably one of the elite teams in the Sydney competition with ease. Oh, easy. Like, with ease. Easy. They destroyed everything they came up against. At that point in at that point in rugby league, if it like say from nineteen ninety to nineteen ninety five, for instance, if you had to said Wigan's the best team in the world, nobody in this part of the world would have gone Oh, you're stupid. You're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. People would have gone like, yeah, they probably are, hey. I don't think they lost a World Club Challenge. They, oh. they might have lost one to the Broncos. I don't, I don't know. They, I don't they, they and the thing is, they, they beat that 1989 Raiders side, which is just star-studded. They beat them 30 to 18. Mm-hmm. They beat the... 91 Panther side, 21 to 4. They did lose to the 92 Broncos, 22 to 8, but they beat the 93 Broncos, 20 to 14. And they, they also were, beat that 87 Manly side, 8 2. They were really the reason why we have a World Club Challenge. Oh, sorry, it was it was Witness who played Canberra in 1989. Okay. But the, the thing about Super League, the reason Super League coming over in the UK is because News Corp or News Limited or Sky or whatever you want to call that corporate entity, they're all kind of the same thing. Rupert. They they wanted pay TV content and they were trying to get pay TV content in Australia and they wanted to isolate the Australian Rugby League. And one of the easiest ways and cheapest ways was to just buy up the English competition. So they offered them a shitload of money. And they said, here's this bunch of money. We want you to only play the Super League Australia players and teams. And they said, yeah, we'll take that money. They took that money and did nothing with it. Like they literally pissed it away. There is nothing you can look at that original Super League deal that they did in the UK 
and point to one thing that they did with it. Like well, they they um didn't they put forward some some mergers? They made some mergers happen. How they, they all go? Oh yeah, they all fucking dissolved immediately. You know, <laughs> we had the Gay Toll Thunder Sharks and the what was the the Huddersfield and Sheffield, I believe they yeah. they tried the, to merge them, and then we had Gateshead, which was a fucking disaster. The the, the Shuttersfield Giant Eagles. Yeah, yeah, it's just all of it was ridiculous, and you know, there's no doubt that Super League, like even the quality of Super League now, is worse when you watch the games. Um, clubs being in a better financial position, I don't know about that. I would say that. You know, their budgets are all so much lower now for the top sides. The lower sides might be a little bit better off, but not by a great deal. Um, I, I would definitely not say that Super League is in a better position than it was when it first started. Yeah, the other thing I was going to ask you too, because the concern was about, um, you know, another concern I had in there was by having the two competitions merged together, there'd be a heap of blowout scores. Mm-hmm. And my response is, isn't there already? Yeah, as opposed to what? <laughs> yeah. But the chances of a team in the NRL scoring 17 a game are still insanely slim. Well, you look at that game last year that we were both disgusted by the West Tigers, and I think it was the Melbourne Storm, mm-hmm. the round after Tommy Rodonikas had passed away. Yep. And, I mean, that there was one point that it was like, are the Storm going to score 90? You know, yeah. and they didn't. They 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 didn't put eighty on. I can't remember what it was. Was it like sixty eight or something? Sixty six. <laughs> sixty six. Uh, yeah, and like that's a real outlier of a score in the NRL. Yeah, you see every, that every every season in the Super League, yeah. some team will put seventy on. Yeah. So uh, why, I just so why they worried about a few teams getting cricket sauce put on them. Well, it's, every season over there. And it's weird. You see a lot of people give perspectives from how their team are going in Super League, not the overall competition. And so the top sides tend to think Super League's going great because their team's going great. Most other fans are like, well, my team is surviving, so Super League's going okay. Um, but it's just a mess. It's a real mess. I, I used to talk about and write about so many different ways to – try and fix up Super League and I'm just so over it because they don't care they're not going to change it they're happy with whatever that mess is and it's like there's a a cycle of fucking delusional thinking over there it's kind of sad really but the rest of the rugby league playing world just gets on with it and you just leave the pomps to sit over in the corner fucking playing with themselves I I do love the line though that um you need to have promotion and relegation so the teams in second division have got something to play for. Ugh. Knowing that people are complaining about teams coming up to from second division to Super League and then getting flogged, yeah. does that mean that are they saying that teams in championship are looking forward to getting fucking hammered every week? Is that what they <laughs> is that what they're aspiring to do? Well, you look at Toulouse <laughs> now, right? Toulouse comes into the top grade. They they did not have a single opportunity to build a Super League squad. The play market was over, right? Didn't they also have a one or two players that refused to get vaccinated and it caused a bit of a player revolt just before the season kicked off? Yeah, they did. It was a bit of a kerfuffle. I think it's all been sorted out now from memory. But that, um, that doesn't help coming into a season. No, it's terrible. It's terrible. But then they come into the top grade 
and they're behind the eight ball financially. They're behind the eight ball in terms of their squad. They've got one year to turn it around while they're playing the games. It makes no sense. And by the way, everyone whose contract gets upgraded because they're up to Super League, they're going to have to pay those contracts out when they get relegated at the end of the year for league. Like, it's such a fucking stupid system. It is. It really is. I... I'll, I'll say this to Kane. This is not just... I'm not saying this because I'm opposed to the way English Rugby League is run. A promotion and relegation system would not work in the NRL. No. It just can't. False. No. Because the, the, the dividing quality between the best teams and the worst teams in Super League in the NRL is noticeable enough. But if you start bringing in teams from the next division down, you're only widening that, that gap. So why keep bringing up a team that's further behind the worst team in Super League every year? All you're doing is making that gap wider for no reason. Because those teams that yo-yo between Super League and Championship, that's not helping them financially. You know, eventually, they're coming up and down all the time is going to run and broke. Look at Bradford. Yeah, and the other thing is, too, if you go from the year 2000, if you had promotion and relegation in the NRL, the Panthers would have been relegated at one point, the Roosters would have been relegated, the Parramatta Eels, uh, the the Bulldogs, the, the Broncos, Storm. the Storm, the Cowboys. like Sharks. Yeah, and what would that have done to those teams? Instead of being able to allow those teams to have a bad year, rebuild themselves be able to recruit players, know that they've got stability, that they're going to be in the top grade, that they're going to have the financial ability to compete, that they're going to be able to sign contracts to long-term deals with sponsors, with everyone, you know, with coaches, with coaching staff, everything. You're able to plan. If Can you imagine if we got rid of those teams out of the top grade and we, you know, because what, what, what is the reason Wentworthville keeps running around for? Because they're a fucking goddamn rugby league team, that's why. And they go out there and they play games to win games and they try and win the level that they're at. Well, the other thing that's nuts about it too in Australia is that it would also mean that you'd, you could end up with two, say, two Canterbury Bulldog sides. Yeah, true. <laughs> oh, the dogs are playing the dogs this week. Hey, we could see North Sydney back in the NRL if we brought in. Oh, uh, that's something. The Bears. <laughs> the Mighty Bears. There's any reason to not bring in promotion in the NRL? It's that alone. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's a bit of spirited conversation. Yeah, you can only die once. That's it. If you die more than once, you're out for good. Yeah. Just ask Newtown. Just ask the Magpies. Just ask North Sydney. Don't don't ask the Magpies. They actually died twice. They died a couple of times. I know, but yeah. The Sharks have probably died a few times financially. Oh, I was just about to say, <laughs> the fuck is ticking Sharkies. <laughs> the South have died twice. When did South die the other time? They were, I think they were pretty close in the early 80s as well. Was it Financially, best? they were very, very close, but they hey. got saved by the fact that other teams were more financially dead than them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can die twice. You can't die three times. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, I think so. That's the difference between Australia and England. <laughs> so the, the Sharks are a bit of an outlier, but other than that. When you get when your club gets bought by a, a millionaire, 
as a wedding gift to his <laughs> wife. Are you really a club? Well, it, it didn't, but it was close. It was very close, but then you just close. end up being a thing, don't you? That's right. It's just a trinket. Yeah, yeah. So let's just call from now on. You can't say you can't say this around your missus. But from now on, South Sydney trinkets. They're not South Sydney, are they Cronulla trinkets? They're not a club, they're trinkets. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. I didn't say that. No, you didn't, Andrew. No, no, I'm just uh no, I've I've said some bad things already. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we might have, we'll have to get the legal team to go through this episode, I think. All right. <laughs> Gonna be a long night for you, my friend. <laughs> yeah. I love it. You can say whatever you want, and then you're like, oh, I gotta go now. You just edit that for the next three and a half hours. I'll talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. Just come on and sway through, make a mess, and just go, yeah, you'll look up that, won't you? See ya. <laughs> and then I go on Twitter and everyone thinks I'm the bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. It's, an, it's an interesting setup we've got here. I don't know how that worked. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Just so people know, um, Freaky here, I mean, he delivers roses to, you know, homeless people. Such a lovely yeah. human. Yeah. Well, I go and slap him in the face. Tell yeah. them I should get a job. Exactly. <laughs> we're, we're some fucking shoes too. Jesus, Andrew. <laughs> I don't want to wear them out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm saving them. <laughs> you can't, you know, you can't get a retread on those things. I know, right? Man, they're expensive. <clears throat> well, this has been a good episode, eh? <laughs> it has. We've covered quite a bit. Mm. Quite a bit too much in some instances. It, it's been good, though. It's been good. And, uh, yeah, we will be getting into the uh, the flow of things pretty soon. We've got a bunch of trials games coming up this week and next week. Mm-hmm. And the season proper gets underway three weeks' time, something like that. Yeah, around that, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, we're going to start getting into the swing of things. We're, we're already getting a, a regular weekly episode now, but we're going to try and uh, get back to our usual whatever the hell we used to do. Yeah, our 15 different episodes a week. That's right. Um, we'll get into that. Also, we must say, because mm-hmm. when we put this out, it's going to be Valentine's Day. So, happy Valentine's Day to all of our listeners that are, are, are looking for love, that are, um, have love in their hearts, and that uh, want to send us emails to podcast at leaguefreak.com. You can send us emails. And uh, we will read them. We will read them on the podcast and say your name. So happy Valentine's Day to you people. Yeah, tell us why you love the podcast. Yeah, that's a good idea. For and we will, Day. we will have a Valentine's Day episode, which is what, tomorrow? Yeah, we'd have to do that tomorrow. That's fine by me. We can do that. I'll still be editing this fucking podcast on <laughs> Valentine's Day. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, you just have to do it with the Twitter thing as well while you're at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you'll look after all that, won't you? Yeah, I can I can sort it all out. Yeah, good man, good man. I like to multitask. And uh, by the way, every Saturday, if you're on Twitter, you'll see us tweet out a history episode that we've done in the past. So keep an eye out for that, and retweet all of the tweets that have uh, have our episodes on it, because we can see a bump when you do that. Hey. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm. Um, and please make sure you get over there and on YouTube especially. 
uh, you know, like, give a little comment on the videos, even if you just say, um, you know, League Freak's got lovely balls or something like that. It's fine, it's fine and factual, but, you know, pop them in there, that'd be good. Um, like all the videos, subscribe, all that sort of gear. Thank Gary Schofield. We always like to thank Gary Schofield, yeah. 49. Yeah. It's impressive. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. 49, huh? Yeah. I mean, it's it's 49 more than Chad Townsend. Exactly. Only 48 more than Aaron Raper, though. That's true. That's true. Speaking of the Rapers, um, Johnny Raper died during the week. Very sad news. And then a couple of days later, we heard that Olsen Filipina passed away as well. Um, yeah. Johnny Raper, I mean, he's. Uh, I, I did get to meet him once. It was at an NRL function where, um, oh, geez, way back. I can't remember the year now. Is, they paused the Immortals thing for a while there when the NRL was looking to buy the, the concept from Rugby League Week. And Rugby League Week was still in publication at the time. And the NRL then was looking at a new structure that they were put in place for it. And they invited, invited a bunch of... Um, journalists, former rugby league players, commentators, that sort of stuff, and dickheads. Um, and that was obviously where I fit in. Um, so I, I got invited to this thing, went along, and Johnny Raper was there. And afterwards, everyone's sort of having a chat, and I just sort of looking around starstruck at all of these legends there. And I just stand up next to Johnny Raper, just because I wanted to you know, just stand near him. Yeah. <laughs> I was too stupid to be able to know what to say. He says, Oh, good day, mate. What are you doing? I went, oh, I run a website. Thinking, I'm talking to an old man. He doesn't know what internet is. He's going, oh, okay, no worries. What's it do? And I told him what, what rugby league project. Goes, oh, no one's ever done that before. That's that's awesome. Thanks for doing that. And I went, you don't need to thank me, man. Like, you're a fucking immortal who played rugby league and made the game better than what it ever was. What the fuck are you thanking me for? I'm just a nerd on a website. <laughs> um, But it kind of, you know, speaking to me a bit more about it, he was very, very humble. He didn't bang on about himself like he was some sort of big hotshot or anything like that. He didn't take anything in his life for granted um, and was just a generally very relaxed, happy bloke. Um, and if you were not a, you know, a rugby league-minded person, you were just an absolute stranger, and you walked into this bloke in a bar, he'd be the most welcoming, friendly person. You'd still remember who he was. He's just that sort of a guy. Um, just made you feel welcome. Very lovely man. Um, his on-field record speaks for itself. Um, deservedly an immortal, mm. uh, phenomenal. Just changed the way that lock forwards played the game. You know, he was probably one of the first few that saw a lock forward become a ball player. Um, phenomenal player. Can't you can't speak any higher about him. Um, for those who don't know, for a bit of a laugh, uh, for a long time he was known as the man in the bowler hat, which is a story about, um, I think it was on one of the 1960s tours to England. Mm -hmm. And he lost a bet. I don't know what was over off the top of my head. Um, But uh, apparently he walked down the main street of one of the English mining villages in the middle of winter at nighttime with nothing but a bowler hat covering his uh, private parts. And it was always suggested that it was Johnny Raper who was the person who who, uh, did this. But then in the early 80s, uh, his teammate Dennis Mantee came out and said that it was him. And the suggestion was that he might have been put up to admitting it was him just so that Johnny Raper could get a gig on the Australian um, Selectors Committee. 
<laughs> so we still don't know for sure who who it was. But uh, it's a, one of those um, larrikin-type funny stories where, you know, if it happened now, there'd be an uproar. But back then, people just had a bit of a laugh about it. Yeah. No, no one was offended. Um, but, yeah, that, that kind of summed up who he was, though. Liked a bit of a laugh and didn't mind if it was at his own expense. Yeah, and just a, a real character and, yeah. man, it's it just one of those – I mean, it, it he's, he's one of those plays that was so great and there's probably a good dozen of them that you can't even – where do you even begin <laughs> You're talking about his on-field? Like, you, it's it seems silly to talk about how good he was on the field and what he achieved because there's so much of it that it's just overwhelming – and so you tend to gravitate towards talking about the person who was off the field and because he was such an amazing character and person and, you know, just uh, such a big loss for the game. It's it's very sad when you lose um, people like that that are real. As you say, it, it wouldn't matter if you didn't even know who he was. He would have been a nice person to meet. I I never got to meet him, unfortunately. But I was talking to... Um, somebody I know this week about his passing and we were talking about how um, we got to meet uh, Arthur Beetson and Johnny Peard many, many years ago uh, as youngsters. And Johnny Peard said, call me uh, Uncle Johnny. (laughs) (laughs) We'd only just met him and he was amazing. And and, uh, Arthur Beetson, of course, is Arthur Beetson. Arthur Beetson was always amazing and yeah, it was really sad to hear about his passing this week. He's, he's um, you know, a, a big part of the game. It, it's so sad. Um, just on Johnny Peard, he's a distant relative of mine too, by the way. Oh, that's right, yeah. Mm. So I guess in a way he's your Uncle Johnny. Yeah, he's my Uncle Johnny. Yeah. Sort of, yeah. I think. Or maybe he's a cousin. Yeah. Yeah, bomber. Um, and yeah, other one was um, Olsen Filipina. Um yeah, a lot of people talk about how Andrew Johns is one of the was possibly the best defensive half there ever was. Mm. Uh, they probably didn't see Olsen play. <laughs> that guy hit like a truck. Um, uniquely gifted, supremely gifted half. Um, unbelievable player. And just someone who left an impression on people's minds of what he did on the field, that people still talk about him as a player. And was you know he was still used as a measuring stick for a lot of players for years after he he um, retired, um, and a, a larger than life character, but you know really another really down to earth human as well. Um, there was a book released about him I think by Patrick Skeen in the yeah. last year or two called The Big O. Mm-hmm. Um, thoroughly recommend people get it and go read it. I'm I'm not a huge fan of of um, autobiographies. I find them to be awfully repetitive and dull. But Olsen's, um, Arthur Beetson's, and um, Frank Farrell. Those three autobiographies are absolutely fantastic. People should read them. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, brilliant brilliant stories for all of them. Um, But, yeah, a a huge loss as well. Um, So it's been been a bit of a sad few days there. Uh, that because they both happened about two days apart, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, they did. We, I, I talked about it a little bit with, uh, Elliot. with Elliot, yeah, during the week. Um, and yeah, it's it's just one after the other. It's like, geez, two hammer blows. It was very sad. Yeah, honestly, I was, 
I was shocked at both of them. I didn't think, uh, and I don't know why, I didn't think Johnny Braper was as old as he was. But then I think, oh, really? think back and go, oh, yeah, he did play in the 60s. That would have meant he was probably born in the 40s. Oh, yeah, that is 80 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think a part of me still thinks that, you know, it's only just past year 2000 for some reason. Dude, I'm go, the exact oh, same. It's only about 60, time. surely. The Olympics were on like five years ago, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> I remember when, uh, it was a few years ago where it was like, the the Houston Rockets won their last championship in 95 and it was like 25 years since their last championship. And I'm like, what are they talking about? <laughs> Fucking idiots. Let me do the maths on this one. And then I just felt depressed. I remember hearing, what was it? Last year, they're talking about 20 years since September 11 attacks happened. I was like, Whoa, what? That's crazy. No. Yeah. Time well, moves too you, damn fast. You know, the weird one for me, another weird one. It was a shorter time between the Panthers' first premiership in 2003 than it was between 2003 and the premiership last year. Like, and it by quite a long way, which doesn't seem right. <laughs> and the, the other one is like um, when you measure how long the Steelers were in the NRL competition, the New South Wales Rugby League and the ARL after that. And then you put that up against, like, say, like even like a team like the Gold Coast Titans, you know, it's, it just doesn't seem right. I think I think the one that really got me was when um, I think uh, it was announced that Nirvana's Nevermind album was 30 years old last Whoa, year. That's crazy. Mm, that makes you feel old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that and going into places like JB Hi-Fi and all the music that you grew up with as a teenager mm. in the 90s is now in the retro section. <laughs> Well, you know, I I got Spotify, the free version, not too long ago, so I could play it on my Xbox and play the Xbox at the same time. And in the classic rock section, there was some songs that I used to listen to that come, when they come out, you know, and I was like, what the fuck is this doing in classic rock? I need to speak to someone's manager. Yeah. <laughs> Let's all go Karen on Spotify. Yeah, I wanted to Karen the shit out of someone. <laughs> Oh, that's so true. Showing our age. Mm. Back in my day. <laughs> um, all right, we'll we'll wrap this turkey up. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Um, thanks for enduring some of our, um, you know, less rugby league related content over the years. We assume you like it because you're still listening. Um, but yeah, please, please drop some messages to us either via Twitter or you know. We'd prefer you do it via the website, via email. Um, tell us about what you love about the podcast. And we'll, we'll have a um, Valentine's Day dedication episode tomorrow night. I reckon that'll yeah. be pretty funny. Fuck it. Let's do it. Podcast at leaguefreak.com. Email Get us on it, directly. people. Um, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Fergo Freak Pod. We're on LinkedIn, YouTube, um, MySpace, Facebook. Go check them all out. Uh, like us, subscribe us, all that sort of stuff. It'd be fantastic. I've noticed there's been a fair few likes starting to trickle in on Facebook recently, so that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, love what you're doing, people. And uh, we'll catch you all next time.